Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Lucy Alibar. Lucy is the writer of the new Amazon film Troop Zero, which was the first feature film from Amazon Studios to be released as streaming only on the Amazon Prime video service this January after previously premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in February 2019. Previously, she co-wrote the 2012 Academy Award-nominated film Beasts of the Southern Wild with Ben Zeitlin. Lucy, that is a very impressive resume. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're very excited to talk to you. Troop Zero recently launched on Amazon. I believe in, was it January? Was it February? It was January 17th. January 17th. And as its writer, especially with that having just come out, how are you feeling about the film? You know, I... I couldn't be happier with how it's been received. I I think especially when you're writing something for a younger audience, uh, the longer you've been away from being nine years old, the more you hope it hits, but you just, you don't know until you see it. You don't know what nine-year-olds are going to like until they see it. But I think the the pictures and the, the, the art the kids have made, figuring out which true zero character they are, uh, the letters, it's been incredible. I, I couldn't be happier about it. Before we get into the process side of things, my first question is always, where are you in the world right now? I am in Los Angeles, California. It's Oscar Day. I'm in bed. There's golf on. My little dog is chilling on the couch. Everything's great. It's like a ghost town right now, which is wonderful. And did you always live in LA? Where'd you grow up? And did you always want to be a writer? How did this all kind of unfold? So I, I actually grew up in a town a lot like Christmas Flint and Troop Zero in a really small town in the Florida Panhandle, very close to Georgia and Alabama. And then I came to New York when I was 18 and wanted to be a writer. I mean, knew that I would, you know, especially because I was, I wanted to be a playwright and I was working in the theater at the time. You know, most people in the theater have to supplement with teaching or bartending and so I, I always figured I would own a bar or <laughs> I thought that was going to be my gig but thank god everything else worked out because I would be a terrible bar and restaurant owner and <laughs> I would have just run the place into the ground so I was, I was living in New York writing plays and dancing a lot going to a lot of as much free things as I could go to and I wrote a play called Juicy and Delicious that my good friend Ben Zeitlin said that he wanted to make into his first feature, but set in, at Juicy Delicious was set, again, in South Georgia, North Florida, then wanted to set this in Louisiana, so then I went to Louisiana with him and his group of friends and, uh, and wrote East of the Southern Miles from there. And so then everything, you know, we're so, so fortunate to have the support of Sundance and, and everything that we were so fortunate to have with that movie. And I finally made the official move to LA last year. And actually, end of February is going to be my one-year anniversary of living in Los Angeles. Wow. I mean, I've always gone back and forth between here and 
LA and New York, but it's going to be my one year anniversary. I'm really happy. Well, congrats on your one year anniversary in LA. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on to the process side of things. So usually we frame our episodes around different themes and we talk to writers from all walks of life. In this case, we've talked to some screenwriters, but I don't know if we've ever done like a real deep dive into the screenwriting process. So I think it would be really cool to use Troop Zero and maybe Beast of the Southern Wild as an example. Does that sound fun to you? That sounds great because I love talking about I love learning about process, and mm-hmm. then I'm happy to share whatever I'm learning about it, but I get so geeked out about this stuff. You're also an Academy Award-nominated screenwriter. That is true, correct? Oh, yeah. How does that feel? Sometimes people introduce me as an <laughs> Academy Award winner, and I never correct them. <laughs> hey, you know? I, you know, it's rude to correct people. Sometimes, you know? Yeah. Well. Everyone thinks Big Belt won, won the gold medal, so, yeah. <laughs> Well, we're very excited to have you and to talk process. So first off, let's just start at the basics. Let's say someone is tuning in, they're interested in writing, but they don't really know the difference between a script writer, a TV writer. Define who you are and what you do and what a screenwriter is from the very basics. Wow. I feel like somebody like Tom Fontana would have such a better answer than what I'm going to say. But I, I, think, I think if you're writing a script, if you're writing for any kind of script, or radio, television, film. Structurally, it's going to follow the same. It's going to adhere to to a similar structure in terms of the real estate you have, in terms of the time frame you have. That's just going to make it different. That's how you're going to modify everything. So you're essentially having a hero, putting them through a lot of really hard, if you want it to be funny, funny challenges to make them grow in a way that should be incredibly satisfying, surprising, and you know the movie's over, or you know the, you know it's over when they've finished this journey. So you, you basically take a hero and you put them on a journey, and then you make it as difficult for them as possible in a way that brings out different different sides of them and surprises you. As far as uh, coming up with an idea, just starting that the writing process of that journey for. Troop Zero and Beasts of the Southern Wilds, were each of those commissioned? Did you start writing those yourself and then they later got developed or pitched into something else? Walk us through the early stages of coming up with that idea. That's a good question because I, so both of those films themselves were optioned from plays that I'd already written. So I, I wrote the plays for free because almost every playwright writes their play for free until they get to a third level. But I... Ben and Court 13 came to me and optioned the play and then hired me to, you know what I mean? But I did, they were both paid jobs, so pieces pre-Writers Guild, uh, and then with True Hero, part of, part of my deal was that they bought they paid my membership dues. <laughs> they got into the Writers Guild, which I was so happy that they could finally do that. And so then from there, but, but even then the, the working day-to-day process is still the same. I mean, the I think with big guild, you're you're much better protected, and it's always a better idea to do that. But I started outline. You start with an outline, and then your floor is covered in note cards. And then by the time I wrote your zero, I recorded bulletin board, so that I could put cards on a on a bulletin board on the wall instead of on the floor. But it, the process is very very similar, just from from the ground up. So you kind of walked us through the high level steps there. As far as that early outline, 
process? What does your outline look like? Is it a kind of ideas thrown into a notepad app? Is it a Word doc where you're just kind of throwing, pasting different things into there? What does it physically look like? It definitely, both of them started out during a couple of days of just throwing everything into a notebook. But then you really, I mean, I, I found, oh my gosh, I'm going to look it up right now, but the writer's journey that essentially takes the Joseph Campbell hero's journey and puts it in, sort of frames it in a, in a way that you can, in a, in screenplay format, essentially, tells you how you can actually write that into a screenplay. Because Joseph Campbell, is, his ideas are so big and so... Mm-hmm. And it's sweeping, and this is very practical. And so, uh, a lot of the two were, you know, things I learned at Sundance Screenwriters Lab, which was where I sort of by like point zero of education and film at all. Christopher Vogler, or the I'm sorry, the, the writer's journey is by Christopher Vogler, and um, that was very helpful. But it, essentially, it all begins with your hero. Who's your hero? What do they want? What's the thing that stands in their way and who's the person that's going to personify that thing, bring out that thing? And then, I mean, a lot of writers argue about what is the midpoint that you decide on what your midpoint is. For me, the midpoint is where somebody explained it to me recently of they are, your hero is the closest to what they think they want and the farthest from what they want. And that really, really resonated with me is essentially you spend your first act at first half of the movie with your hero chasing all of chasing all the wrong things for the wrong reason and there comes a point where there's this some people we call it a come to Jesus moment but there's some point where they realize there is this old way of doing things like comes from an old flaw within them isn't that isn't going to work for them anymore and they have to they have to shake off this part of themselves that's not serving them anymore and go in this go in this new direction and then, yeah, so it's, it's like beating out those, those moments that you know you have to have. What's your fighting incident? What's your midpoint? What's your battle being going to look like? What's your, you know, who are the different allies? Who's the ally who's the, the one that pokes the best out of them? But, it, you know, who's the ally that has their back no matter what? Who's the ally they learn from? Things like that. So you mentioned a book about the hero's journey. Obviously, there's many screenwriting books. There's McKee's book. Where do you draw the line as far as the rules of screenwriting? I know that some books will break it down. Literally, you should have this many scenes and this many acts and all that. But at what point do you draw the line and say, you know what, I'm throwing caution to the wind here and going off book a little bit? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I think that's something, certainly I, I have to ask that question every single script I write. I think a lot of writers do. I think there's always a point where you decide to stray from the path and it's a mistake. <laughs> I think there's always a point, you know, where you don't think you need, you don't think you need a midpoint or maybe there's no such thing as three acts and maybe it's five acts. But I think it's just really different ways of how do you understand the story for you? How do you, the writer, feel what the story is and what is the necessary thing to put on the page? And then, any technique is just is, is when you get stuck. I mean, I think generally when you get stuck, there's something wrong in the foundation of it, and then there's some explanation for what what went wrong in Act One. Is your hero set up properly? Do they have a flaw? Do, they, do you know what they need? But the thing that happens to me often is I'll think I know what my hero's problem is, and then as I'm writing it, it becomes something different, and and what's what's wrong with them becomes different, and I have to really kind of 
keep an eye on that. And for, I mean, Christmas, for example, it was, it took me a minute to really understand that her problem was that she really, she rejects the help of other people. She's very lonely, but she, part of that is because she pushes other people away. And so when we're watching her try to get on this golden record, recruit all these people to be in her troops so that she can get on this golden record, that's still the wrong thing for her because it's all about her and she's not making any real relationships with any of these people who are, who are right here to be her community right here. And so she's trying to find community in outer space and with the aliens. So, so things like that, just paying really close attention to what you think your character's problem is and then what they're actually doing in the script. How far along or how developed you know, in that stage between an outline and when you actually sit down to write the script itself, how developed is the story at that point? Are you basically, when you sit down to write the script, is it already kind of pretty much thought through? Or are you kind of still, while you're writing the script itself, still kind of tweaking it and adjusting it as you go? So I, I like to outline a lot and I tend to have everything pretty, pretty spelled out. I mean, I love the way to direct the storyboard. I tend to do that I outline a lot and I make sure it's all very fleshed out. Now sometimes I'll say something or there'll be a new character who appears when I write and I know I'm making that sound very whimsical but when I'm writing from the outline sometimes sometimes the new character comes in or sometimes sometimes something new will happen and that happens quite a lot. But generally I'll have a page or twenty pages where every single thing that happens is pretty spelled out. But, you know, different writers are, are different. I mean, they, you know, not everybody. I think a lot of writers can sit down and, uh, you know, just have, like, this is the scene where, this is the scene where Christmas asks Miss Raylene for help. And that, that's, that's all that happens, you know. And I, and sometimes that's all the scene says, but sometimes I really like to sit have on the note card different lines of dialogue that I know are going to be in there. A recurring, like, Fluffy the dog. It was really important for me to have Fluffy the dog in this movie because growing up dogs are always around so it's not really important to have the dog there as much as I could but you know I think everyone's different and as far as you know doing your first pass at the script I would imagine that you're going a whole pass through and maybe not being too precious with your dialogue and kind of really just trying to get to that first draft and then kind of going back over it a few times but I know that not everybody works like that so is that kind of how you do it or do you have a different process yeah I and this is what I tell all when I teach. If you can spare a couple of days to walk away from the script, it still works. It will always come back and pay you back. Not everybody can. Not everybody who is not being paid to write can afford that time. Not everyone who is being paid to write and who's on a deadline can afford that time. But I always find that if I can put a script away, I mean, for a week, I can come back and it's whole new eyes. I can get through it so much the process is so much more clean and efficient and kind and, and good for everybody. We talk about this a lot on the show, but from the other side, we interview a lot of TV writers. We ask, how does it differ from a film script? In your perspective, how does a film script differ from a TV script? I think in a film script, you have the luxury of 90 to 120 minutes to tell a story in a TV script outside of a few Game of Thrones episodes that, <laughs> you know, at the very end of the show, you don't get that luxury. You have to be incredibly economical with your dialogue, with your with which characters you're bringing in. 
So in a way, film feels so much more luxurious to me because you can really, you can sit with the characters a lot longer. What I love about a television script that a movie can't always give you is you're really showing the world. And in television, you're inviting people into live in this world. And then next week or next next episode on your, you know, you can bid the next episode right away. But you just want to see how these characters grew. In a movie, you do need, there does need to be a definitive the end. Even in a franchise, I mean, any kind of franchise, I mean, every Star Wars movie, you know, there's so many, and we'll, we'll hopefully be lucky enough more, many more, but each of those movies, that journey's over. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast, with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flicker and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flicker and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. As far as Troop Zero specifically, obviously it's an Amazon film. At what point did they get involved and what was their involvement? Did you have someone from the studio involved creatively or did you pretty much have free reign? When Amazon got involved, let me let me try and remember. I, I know you, it was with Todd Black and Escape Artist. And I think we were trying to find a distributor and, you know, a, a studio who would let us make the movie we wanted to make. I mean, let us make an indie movie, you know, not a not a big, splashy studio movie because it, it would, these, this is about scrappy, seat-of-your-pants people who live in this scrappy, seat-of-your-pants town, and it wouldn't look right with, you know, a, a huge budget and with, with a lot of, with a lot of movie stars. I mean, Viola and Allison, we're so fortunate that they're, they're definitely famous and they're definitely movie stars, but they're so... I don't know. There, it felt like an indie movie, and Amazon let us do that. Did you pitch the movie before you even started writing it? How far along was it? And if you did, what was that pitch process like? So I, I pitched it loosely. I mean, I, I had a, again a play called Christmas and Jubilee called The Meteor Shower that, but based on, I had a lot of stories about what life was like in a small southern town like mine, and I think. I really went in with we want I want to make bad news bears with a bunch of little girls in 
rural Georgia in the 1970s. I think something like that, that was, the, I don't want to say that was all I had to do because it was weeks and weeks of rehearsal, but I didn't have to take them through the note cards necessarily, which it had to do with other pitches. So this, I think because so many of the reference points were so immediately recognizable and because so much of it was about me and my life and my, you know, where I'm from, made for a pitch where I didn't have to get a specific as I have with others. As far as the script itself, is there something you specifically prefer doing more? Let's say description versus dialogue versus characters versus world building? Or do you say that you kind of enjoy the full process? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I definitely love, I definitely love world building. And I, I love dialogue, especially because of where I'm from. People are just so unique in the ways they talk about things and the ways they, there's just this real uniqueness to the way of thinking and the ways of verbalizing that. So I love dialogue. I mean, especially I've been watching this documentary each year on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's a small town in Texas. And the way that they talk, the little expressions that they'll have that I think they just make up are so unique and beautiful and so human that it, I, as much opportunities I can get for that, I love it. As far as finishing the script, at what point do you know that it's kind of ready to be filmed? At what point are you really like, okay, this is ready to go? Oh my God, never. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm always the one who wants to rewrite day of shooting, in the middle of shooting. I'm, uh, I think I have enough of a perfectionist streak that I can always see how it can be better. And there's a point where you just have to walk away and let, let the actors be great and they can't be great with you breathing down their neck. So I try to be very respectful of that. But no, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't know any writer who, a hundred percent okay just walking away maybe they're out there but i don't know <laughs> you hinted at your involvement during the production side of things but what's your role once the shooting begins and then are there edits being made as you go are you being asked to kind of you know this location has changed so please you know adjust this or what does it look like yeah i mean for example in truth Gear, there's a scene where christmas and hell no fight in what was originally a river. They both fall into this river, and it was like the River Wild, and it, you know, the movie The River Wild, and they fall in, and they drag each other out. It's very traumatic, and for many reasons, we throw children into a river. The top one was money, to be honest. <laughs> we, just, we just couldn't throw children into a river, and so they, they were like, Lucy, you have to make it work with some mud. They're going to fall into some mud and get really dirty. And it was, I had days where I was so upset about that. I was like, how am I going to make dramatic. How am I going to make those things real? You know, I didn't even have to change that much because I think when you're a nine-year-old kid falling in a lot of mud, they'll feel very dramatic. But that's an example. Is there one day on set of either film, Troop Zero or Beasts, that stands out to you? Yeah, you know, I think the scene in Troop Zero where it was the last day, the last day of shooting, and it was actually one of the first scenes in the movie. It was when Christmas, McKenna Grace is watching Viola Davis, who plays Miss Raylene, put on her makeup in the mirror. And it was so, it was, that was one of those real meta days because I, that scene was one of the first scenes I wrote in the movie. I didn't even know where it went, but there was something about being a little girl and growing up, um, my, you know, my mom worked all the time. So I didn't, I didn't have any women around. So women, watching a woman put on makeup was such a, weird, cool thing that I didn't understand, that I knew I was supposed to understand, and I, I was just like, when I was at my friend's house, I would just watch their moms put on makeup, 
And it just really took me back to that time watching them film that scene. And that was, it was one of the last minute lines I got to add. But when Christmas says, Miss Raylene, do you think I could be part alien? I'm so glad they let me do it. I'm so glad that Kenna <laughs> and Violet, you know, rallied around to, to make it work. I think that now looking back, I think that's what, that's where you really get what Christmas's problem is. That's where you really get Christmas's loneliness and Raylene's worry about her and her own wanting to get out. When filming wraps, obviously they move to the editing phase. What's the role of a writer at that time? Is a writer involved at all or? Have you moved on to a new project? Well, I, I at that point have moved on to a new project. Uh, and again, in, in features, you're, you're really lucky to be invited anywhere. My friends welcome anywhere. And they were so generous to me for the and interviewers to let me let me be a, a part of the entire process. So, you know, with, uh, with Troop Zero, especially that ending, figuring out the most effective ending and when we were going to say goodbye to this entire world that we spent 90 minutes getting to know and building. And again, Todd Black and Bernie Barney were so, so generous. Kate Height, our editor, about letting me be in there and actually push back a little bit and say, I think, you know, the we are here needs to be at the, at the very end. So that's what we need to end on and things like that. And we're, they were so kind. My last question is, what's next for you? Do you have a gig lined up? And how do you get your next gig? Is it through an agent? Is it through I, your contacts? So I am the way that I, again, Troop Zero came from during all the press movies. I was pitching as much as I could, showing as many scripts as I could. And again, in the in the wave of Troop Zero, I've been trying to, the hustle doesn't, doesn't stop. And at least for me. So I've been trying to, um, you know, see what other who else I'd like to work with, see what other stories I might want to tell, and uh, definitely a vacation in the future. I think just so I can clear my head a little bit because it's been right. such an eventful year. But um, yeah, I will tell you soon if I can't <laughs> like Are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? Yes. Okay. We have a bunch of them. So, first one is the most random. You mentioned in your Twitter bio. You're here for the WGA and dog pictures. Yes. Uh, what role do pets play in supporting and inspiring writers? That's a great question. I think every writer who's not allergic should have a pet because they're so, they force you up out of your desk to take a walk around the block. I think every writer should have a dog because they get you out of your apartment, they get you out of your office, they're great conversation starters. The next question, there is a, I would call it a traditional path of you make a film, yeah. you get it into Sundance, uh, then once you get a film with the Sundance, you maybe write a feature and you pitch that feature. So there's this like kind of traditional path that historically was always the path that filmmakers wanted to go. But these days, is that a valid path? Does that still exist, especially with the climate today? There's more TV. Should those who are you know, aspiring to write features or major motion pictures go that route? I mean, I think I get asked that a lot. I think everybody's path is different, and I think we all want a surefire way to get to where we want to be. I do I do think you have to write what you love and write the, write the stories that are important to you because you can always tell. When somebody's not writing from the heart, 
Um, and he said people are incredibly talented and they're very good at, but that's when you find your own voice and then nobody can, nobody can replace you. Nobody can be another one of you. So I would say more importantly than thinking about the past, think about what you're, what you love to write and you can relentlessly write that. Next question. We've heard there is such a thing as a water bottle tour in LA. Wherein, oh, yeah. Have you done that? I mean, you said you pitched a lot. Have you gone through the experience, especially having written a Academy Award nominated film? I imagine you were in a lot of studio waiting rooms with the water bottle. Yeah, you know, I think that I'm like, who calls it a water bottle tour? I, it was a Diet Coke tour for me. Diet Coke <laughs> tour. They'll bring you any soda you want and you don't even have to pay for it. Yeah, it's a... Uh, no, so I basically did that but with Diet Coke and Diet Dr. Pepper. And I would be so, I was like hummingbird by the end. I was like on, you know, I just was literally vibrating by the end of the day. Like, why do I feel crazy? I've had eight Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but drink the Diet Coke. It's fun. It's like a, it's a good literal icebreaker. I would, if you're somebody, somebody say, when you're called to a meeting, don't, They'll offer you water, but don't take the water because it it makes them take more time or something. I'm like, take the water, take it, get what you want. <laughs> and what is that experience like? Yeah, yeah, I think any time your hopes are up, they can be brought down. But I think if you if you think about them all as opportunities, and if you and not necessarily just about selling that one pitch, but about making that relationship with a person. Or if it's whoever you're pitching to, or if you already know them, to deepening that relationship. Because ultimately, I think you get work and continue to get work because of, I don't want to say because of those relationships, because you need to come in with something good, but the relationships are what, what's going to sustain you. So, and it also takes away the, it takes away the pressure of this, the binary of am I going to sell this or not because even if you do sell it you might not know for weeks or might, they might come back to you or they might buy it and they decide they don't want to go any further with it so if you can make the achievable goal of creating a connection with that person in the room I find it becomes infinitely more rewarding and less exhausting my next question is in regards to films as opposed to tv you made a film for amazon what is the state of film? Obviously, these days, films tend to be a little bit bigger budget and kind of leaning towards like sci-fi and big, big films, whereas TV has really become a more expansive, kind of more indie world to work in. What's the future of it? Are films still going to be as valid? That is a great question. I, I mean, I think we're definitely seeing... Look, I mean, so many of the movies that I was watching while I was writing Troop Zero, they wouldn't make anymore. I, I mean, you couldn't get those movies made now, like movies like Dog Day Afternoon, Running on MTV. I don't think they make... They did make a remake of Bad News series, but they, they wouldn't make Stand By Me anymore. Whereas in Palestine, you're really seeing an openness to different budgets, different production values, kids. So I don't know. I, w I would love for studios to remember that movies like Sullivan's Travels and Return of the Sakaka Seven, Nate One, like people love those movies. I mean, you can love a big Marvel movie and you can love Dog Day Afternoon. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean stop making the, the mid 
mid-budget movies. So I, I don't know. I'd love, I'd love for them. I'd love for them to do it again. I don't know if they will. Why do you think people enjoy binge culture and, you know, let's say two hours of content is either four 30-minute shows or two one-hour shows? But a film could also just be one piece of content. Yeah. Any idea why people like the serialized style of content? Well, I think people like being drawn into a world. I think if you think about Game of Thrones or Mad Men, I mean, people love to get sucked into a world that they know it's a lot more of that world. You know what I mean? Like a two-hour movie, again, it's at the end of that two-hour movie, that's the end of that world for you. That's the end of those characters and all of those people. With the surprise, you're, you're just there. I mean, and, and I think, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's, if you look at the ways that we've always told, we've always had, I mean, in the South, but in, in, in all different cultures, we have folk tales with these great characters. So we've always loved the shared, built world. I think that's a good thing. The next question is not as heavy a question. If you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I would take, okay, any writer. I think I would take Gail Garcia Marquez, my favorite writer who's passed away. He lived a really good life. Do Rape Oblique, because I think he loves the food. Um, my best friend is the GM, Melissa Kajakian, and I think he would love her. And just, you know, just what he and his wife, we could do like a double date or something. <laughs> and we could just talk about love and good food. That'd be my dream, actually. The next question. If there was one thing that you had to choose to say to those writers listening, what would you say? I would say to just find what you love. Like, don't push away the thing you love. If you're watching something, even if you're watching TV show that everyone else says is stupid, but there's something about it that you love, watch that TV show where you look at try to figure out what it is you love about it, and then try to start writing, writing what you love, because that comes back to, that's when you find your voice, and that's what nobody can take away from you, and that's what nobody can replace either. They can decide they want a different voice, and they want a different show, but nobody can, nobody can replace you. And I think that's the most important thing, and that also makes it the most satisfying thing because there's just something so satisfying about writing in your own voice. The last question is, drumroll, please, please hand me the envelope. <laughs> I'm opening oh it God. opening it right oh. now. The question in the envelope is, did you have fun with us today? I did. I love, I, I mean, I love being able to talk about movies that I love and really put those up to the light now and realize how few of those they would make now. Like the Dirty Dozen, remember the Dirty Dozen? I don't think they make the Dirty Dozen now. But it's clearly the basis. I mean, every great big Marvel movie has its basis in great storytelling like that. I mean, The Avengers is the Dirty Dozen. It's just on a much bigger, you know, much, much bigger screen. But God, I love that movie. You mentioned these big Marvel movies. We talked about what we were working on next, but what's your end goal? Is there a certain type of film you want to make, or do you aspire to kind of move on to TV? What can we expect in a few years? Yeah, I would love to 
work more in television. I'd love to have my own show. And I would love to do a big, big movie, to write and direct a big, big movie with a big cast. I think, again, I love big ensembles. And maybe that's why I do love every X-Men movie, even the ones that people don't like. I, I love them because you're watching a team do something together and you're watching all of these. You're watching group dynamics, which I love. And they're all superheroes and mutants. So, a big mutant movie and it's all show. How about that? Love it. Troop Zero is streaming on Amazon now. If you're listening, you haven't seen it. What's going on? What's running through your mind? On, you, need to, you need to just get out there, sit down, and watch that right now. Yes. Lucy, did you want to plug anything? Is there anything else you want to shout out that we haven't talked about or, or social media? Oh, you know, I would just say, stand with the WGA now and always, union all day, every day. There it is. Love that. Lucy, thank you. This has been really, really, really fun. Love diving into your process and writing scripts and talking about, you know, Troop Zero and everything in between. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.